let me introduce you to your next favorite true crime podcast, Crime Salad. Ashley and Ricky, a husband and wife team, go beyond telling crime stories. They dive into the darkest corners of human nature with the ultimate goal of preventing future tragedies. Together, they shine a relentless spotlight on critical issues like relationship violence and domestic abuse, inviting you to explore the complexities of these societal challenges. Now, let us set the scene for a recent Crime Salad episode, which is titled The Search for Haley Cummings. The disappearance of a five-year-old girl leaves the Florida community in disbelief. In the early morning hours of the night, an open back door remained eerily left open where Haley was staying. A wave of dread swept through the community and the family as the unimaginable happened. Was this the work of a kidnapper? Or did the little girl wander off? The search for Haley brought a community together in the darkest of times. Since 2019, Ashley and Ricky, the crime salad duo, have continued to deliver stories that are not only fascinating and well-researched, but also have a strong voice for change and justice. So grab your headphones and prepare to be pulled into a world where mystery meets humanity. Make sure to tune in to Crime Salad wherever you find your podcasts and join a growing community of listeners who tune in every week. And now back to your regularly scheduled haunting. This episode of Let's Get Haunted was recorded prior to the events that have unfolded in our country over the past week. Let's Get Haunted would like to take this opportunity to use our platform to publicly support Black voices and causes during this time. We humbly ask our listeners to refrain from donating to us for the month of June and to instead redirect those donations to a nonprofit which directly benefits affected communities. Our nonprofit of choice is the Loveland Foundation, and we've made a donation on behalf of our community. If you'd like to donate as well, visit our Twitter account for more details. We will continue making and releasing free episodes during this time in the hopes that we may bring a small ray of light into this stressful time in history. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Hey guys! Hello everybody! We are back for episode 40! Episode 40. Remember that movie about the 40-year-old virgin? Yes. Is that what we are now? No. Man, I wish. I like. <laughs> I honestly wish I would have never slept with any of the stupid douchebags. Yeah, but you know what? I wish I would have saved it all. I feel like you've got to sleep with some douchebags. You've got to date some douchebags in order to realize what you like and what you don't like in life and in a relationship. God bless the broken penises that led me straight <laughs> to you. Every yes. broken penis. Do you know that song? Yeah, I'm going to sing it at your wedding. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Alyssa. Yeah. Wow. I have this fantasy that like at my wedding, 
you know what, how people do like a first dance yeah i'll have like a whole dance choreographed with my husband or whatever but then like when it comes time to do it all the lights dim and spotlight comes on me and he's like wait we're not doing the dance and then i'm like laying on top of a piano and i sing a song to him about a relationship and dancers come out and then it's like glitter falling and confetti and there's like a live band and fireworks go off and it's like a kick-ass concert Wow. And I hope that in that whole thing, you end up singing the broken penis song. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what I was going to say. Then you can come out like of a cake and sing that song. Yes. Okay. So also speaking of broken dicks, um, somebody tweeted at us and they were like, wow, I really felt that when Natalia said that if a dick can't get hard, she just folds it in half. Folds it in half for twice the thickness, so one side is like a splint for the other side. It makes perfect sense. It literally makes me want to throw up, but I'm so glad that it resonated with somebody, and that's what our podcast is about. I wish, sometimes I wish this were a video podcast, because so that people could see our reactions to the shit that we say to each other. There are also times on the podcast, like, where I'll be re-listening because I'm editing, and there'll be a pause. You'll say something or I'll say something, and then there's just, like, this awkward pause, and it sounds like we hate each other but like the other person's just silently laughing and it doesn't show up on the recording you have one of those laughs that's like so recognizable i could see somebody taking a compilation of your laughs and like using it in one of those videos online where they're like can you tell whose laugh this is i tweeted out this would have been maybe last year i was like oh i fucking hate my laugh like having a podcast has made me realize how fucking stupid my laugh is it sounds like my laugh is really stupid too but my laugh is like more like yeah it's we definitely have two distinct laughs oh speaking of the nut button did you see the fan art i just posted to the instagram no i had texted it to you previously but uh it is an illustration of a girl that did a she goes to a fashion institute of design and she made a capsule collection based on our podcast and oh yeah i do i remember all of this yes you guys we've totally made it i think i texted a and i was like i know we've made it when there's a capsule collection for us Right? Yes. And it sh- and the illustration she made was you and me dressed in her capsule collection, standing on top of a giant nut button. So amazing. I bet she failed. And it's beautiful. Her name. Yeah, and they were probably like, no. Sorry, this this podcast isn't even good enough to have a Wikipedia page. So automatic fail. <laughs> I'm like not even mad at Wikipedia because they're kind of right. They're like, what is this bootleg podcast that you want to make a Wikipedia <laughs> page for? So like now okay. it almost credits them even more as a source. Right. I feel you. But then also, why are we listed as sources for the Jameson family and they allow it? Because you asked people to make it. Yeah, I know. But still, why would they, <laughs> why did they approve that? But they didn't approve a separate page for us. I am heated. We deserve the credit. I don't know, Alyssa. Why did Bush cause 9-11? Some things we oh. can just never know. Oh, Lord. How's your quarantine been going? <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been going well, you know. I feel like I've been uh, doing some yoga and like staying active. And I put, I put up a fire Instagram post. I've just been Liam Neesoning because something very traumatic happened to me during this quarantine what happened so i don't even know if i can like go into this without getting like ptsd but i will do my best i'm doing this for the listeners i need you guys to just take deep breaths and just everyone relax actually that's not how ptsd works right aren't i the one who gets worked up not everyone that i'm telling the story to well i guess you could say trigger warning right now if if you think it would trigger other people okay trigger warning if you've ever had a person shit on your patio you're not going to want to hear the story 
story. <laughs> oh my God, Los Angeles. So because COVID is happening, a lot of people in the apartment complex that I live in are moving out. So there's a lot of empty spaces and units and people moving in and out and doors locking and unlocking and people walking from their car to their house and stuff. So we live in a kind of a sketchy area. So I'm moving in with my neighbor because I need like to save money on rent. So I've been moving my stuff casually over there and we live two units apart from each other. So I was just walking from one door to the other door, leaving them both unlocked. And I'd probably make make like 20 trips or something already that day in the past like three hours. So I was just moving pretty quickly. Anyways, I got all of my little pusheens set up and I took my phone out to take a little Instagram video of it. And I was like, oh, like all the pusheens next to each other next to the Korailakumas and next to our like little LGH alien that one of our beautiful fans knit for us. Like this is so cute and wholesome. And I just like had all these butterflies and warm feelings in my heart. And I was like, cool, I'm motivated. I'm going to go get the rest of my shit. So I open up the door to leave and I make direct eye contact with a man who is like squatting (laughs) a foot and a half outside the door. Like if I would have opened the door anymore, it would have hit him. And of course his eyes look directly into mine. My eyes look directly into his. I can like see the whites of his eyes. I got like a perfect look at his face and everything. And I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, like there's somebody on the patio, right? They had to have opened a door to come in there. So I was already feeling shocked. They were in my personal space and I was like, hey, And I like shut the door and locked it really quick. And then I'm just sitting there for a second. My blood's pumping. By the way, this is not the first time that someone has fucking snuck on this patio and scared the shit out of me. (laughs) I talked about this on another episode too. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, what's he doing? In the deepest recesses of my heart, in some ways I almost wanted to believe that like he was there to like kill me. But in the the darkest part (laughs) of my heart, I just knew that he was taking a massive shit. Like I just felt it in my soul somewhere, like the way that his eyes looked at me. And then I just was like, fuck, I'm going to open this door and either this person's going to be there wielding a knife or this there's going to be a giant turd there. And what do you know? I freaking open up the door and there's a huge, disgusting pile of shit and piss. Oh my lord. Well, I think it was just like a giant fuck you from the universe, you know? They were like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to make of that. Like, what kind of sign is that? You know, like you see an owl fly by at night and you look it up and you're like, oh, this is a sign of fortune. Like, what the fuck kind of sign is that? Somebody tell us. We have a lot of um, mystical people that listen to our podcast. You guys tell us, what does it mean? Is it a bad omen or is it a weird, twisted stroke of good luck? Yeah, like when a bird poops on your shoulder, it's the good luck. Is this like the ultimate good luck for the rest of the... Yeah, when when you like a bird poops on you, they say it's good luck. Oh, is that just to make the person feel better who got shit on? I mean, it seems like it, but also... (laughs) (laughs) But I want to believe it now, you know? Right, yeah, I feel that. But to just top this whole story off, It's been like a long time and the shit still hasn't been cleaned up because after that happened, I was like, fuck this. I locked the door. I locked the patio door. I like put my mask on so I didn't have to like breathe it in because it was smelling disgusting. And Uh then I like went back into my house and I was like, fuck this. I'm not dealing with this. I like told the maintenance people. I emailed them. Of course, they didn't respond because it's like the middle of quarantine. So they're like not even working right now. And then my neighbor texted the girl that I'm moving in with and was like, hey, 
your porch like there's a really bad smell coming from over at your porch oh my god like do you have something over there like an animal died or like rotting or something and she was just like i don't know what to do about it and i was like just play dumb like act like we don't know what happened like (laughs) you didn't you didn't want to be the one to say anything well, I don't want to be responsible for this wet crackhead shit pile. You know, like, right, why do you I didn't have ask to deal for it. That? You're not responsible for it. It's just an unfortunate thing that happened while you happened to be there. Right, exactly. Like, that would have happened whether I was there or whether I was not there. And it's honestly not my problem. <laughs> not my president, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hashtag not my giant piece of shit. <laughs> I, yes, that's our new merch that we're going to be selling, by the way. <laughs> How's your quarantine going? Um, I'm trying to think of anything exciting at all. I downloaded an expansion pack for The Sims 4 called Strangerville, and I haven't played it yet, but Wait. it's supposed to be a mystery. Strangerville? Oh. Can you fuck the strangers? I have not played it yet, but you can fuck any stranger you want in The Sims, which is one of the <laughs> many reasons why people love that game. <laughs> um, But... It's supposed to be like, I, I honestly, I didn't even read the entire description. They were just having a COVID sale. So, and I was like, yes, I need this. I think it's supposed to be like a scientist or a science lab. And then you have to like figure out why the people in the town are acting strange. And it has to do with the scientist. I'm not sure. But I downloaded it. Haven't had time to play it yet. But at some point I will. It sounds super and- haunted. Yeah, it's pretty haunted. Um, Oh, I had an inspection the other day. This is not that haunted, but it has to do with COVID. So I'm just going to talk about it. So for people that don't know, because they just found our podcast, I do human resources and part of HR is law compliance. And with COVID, everything is just a disaster because nobody knows what's going on. So the county, the state and the feds keep passing new laws almost every single day. Not a joke. And so you're trying to like figure it out and have all the proper postings up and stuff. And then I got a call saying, oh, we're going to come inspect your business to make sure it's COVID compliant. I was like, when are you coming? 4 p.m. So I literally had like two hours, which everything was fine and ready anyway, because I get paid to do a good job. But they this girl shows up at my work. And I was like, oh, so are you from like the county health or something? She's like, no, I'm a probation officer. They just don't have enough people to do this job right now. So I'm just like out here doing inspections. And she was super nice. And like I passed the inspection, but I just thought, wow, what a shit show we're living through right now. It's like people that don't even know what they're doing, just coming out and doing subjective inspections. This whole thing is so fucking fucked up and yeah. I think the most alarming part is just what an, a shit show this well, is yeah. to live through. Whether or not you want more restrictions or less restrictions is not even what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about like the fact that every single day there's new information coming off and, and not just information, it's like new laws, like new yes, orders. it's like, very frustrating. Yeah, and it's scary because if we know anything about like cancel culture or anything like that like who knows if like 30 days from now like whatever we're doing right now is going to make us look like huge assholes and everyone's going to be like take away your jobs go to jail you know exactly yeah i know the cdc just came out and said that covid can't be transmitted via surfaces anymore which to me was super confusing because a big part of the employment law that i was implementing had to do with like sanitizing heavily used surfaces and of course like i'm still gonna do it because i think it's a good practice anyway but i just think like damn like what else do we just not know because it's a brand new virus like nobody knows anything what does the cdc say about a strange man coming into 
taking a shit in the middle of your patio. Like, what do I, am I supposed to do about that? Do I sanitize that? Do I mask it? <laughs> like what, where am I at right now? You know what? If I, first of all, I don't know. So don't take my advice. But if I were, if I were to like channel what I think a CDC person would say, I would say that you officially have coronavirus just from making eye contact with such a haunted event. It's literally still there. Like it's, it's still there. Yeah, it's like 20 feet away from me right now. There are only my door and their door, like keeping the distance between us. <laughs> like I said, I don't want to get blamed for this shit. You know, I don't want to have to deal with it. So I'm not going to go I, to clean it up or to even like ask questions about it at this point would be like claiming ownership of it. Like being like, oh, this is my problem now. And I'm like, this is not my fucking problem. Fuck you guys. That's like when that story I told on this podcast last year about my roommate in college that took a dump in the shower. And then I, I'm the one that found it. And I had to send out a mass text and be like, does anyone know what is in the shower? And then she like came running back through the door was like, oh, sorry, sorry. Sorry, I'll clean it up. I'll clean it up. But it's like I the mere fact that I found it, I was like, whoever smelled it dealt it. Right. I was like, if nobody owns yeah. up to this, it's going to look like I just took a dump in the shower and didn't want to clean it up. So I feel you. It's like, do you say something? Do you not say something? Sometimes it's better just to ignore your problems. And that's LGH advice. Totally it is. Well, all I know is something that's not haunted and someone who would never take a dump on either of our porches are the donors. For this month. So. Oh God, that's, a, that's, a just, that's a horrible intro. That's a horrible like, why, transition. Why are you going to do our donors dirty like because that? Because they would never take a shit on us. And I would like to thank Daryl D, Justin K, Lauren E M, Phil G, Thomas C, Kinsley M, Madison F, Hannah R, and Ephraim P. You guys would never shit on us and I would never shit on you. Thank you for donating to this podcast. And I've also got Amy S, Brie D, Brielle S, Madison K, and Efrain P. You guys. Thanks, guys. You're the best. The best. You're the best. We need like a song. We need to, uh, someone to create a song about donors. Donors, will you do it? Yeah, don't. <laughs> Natalia and I can't. We can't handle it. So if you guys want to do one, we would be really appreciative. Um, and if you want to donate to the podcast, you can do so by Venmoing at DogMomUSA or at NatStron or Natalia has a PayPal. It's uh, paypal.me slash NatStron. She also has a cash app. Which is the dollar sign natalia strawn and i have a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash dog mom usa and if all of that is way too confusing you can go to our website letsgethaunted.com and there will be one link to Alyssa's coffee page (laughs) i used to use the coffee for like literally receiving coffee when I was in school but then I graduated and I haven't been using it as much so I thought I'm just going to convert it entirely into an LGH donate page I might change hey, it to slay. I might change it to kofi.com slash let's get haunted but then I was like well but what if people are listening to old episodes and I say it's dog mom USA and then they can't find it and then I was spiraling so I was like you know what I'm just gonna leave it as is for now God, we really played ourselves, didn't we? Yeah, we did. That's okay. So, Alyssa. Yes. 
today I'm going to tell you a story that's a personal story because this is something that literally happened to me last night that sparked this investigation. Wait, is this about uh, men taking shits on your porch? No, but maybe the man taking a shit on my porch was like actually the omen for me discovering what happened later that night. Okay, I'm ready. So before we start, I just want to ask you, do you are you familiar with the idea of separating art from the artist? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so what what does that mean to you, separating art from the artist? Uh, it's a discussion that people have about can you still enjoy the art that an artist makes if that artist does bad things? At least that's the context I've heard it in. So like R. Um, R. Kelly is like a pretty terrible person, but a lot of people like his music. He's a very talented singer. So then people were having a discussion uh, about can you still listen to R. Kelly's music or do you have an ethical and moral responsibility to stop listening now that we know that he's a child molester? So can you That's separate perfect... the art from the artist? That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And is it even possible, right? Right. So like for another example would be like are Michael Jackson's number one songs cursed now um and what becomes of the art that someone has made after we find out that that person is problematic or that person is haunted is that art haunted too for example if i were to listen to some of michael jackson's music now knowing what i know about him will that have bad vibes for me or does it only carry the good vibes that it had before we knew all that right uh i don't know that's hard i mean I think in a lot of ways, especially when it's like a pop culture icon, it's pretty hard to avoid listening to or watching a movie or looking at a painting. It's pretty hard if it's someone who's so popular that they're ingrained in our culture. I think like Picasso is a really good example. I love Picasso's art. Turns out he was a pretty shitty dude. But does that mean that I no longer can appreciate his art? I don't know. I still look at his art. I still appreciate it and think yeah. it's beautiful, so it's hard. I definitely understand you don't want to reward somebody for their shitty behavior. I guess it's easier because Picasso's dead, so I can look at his mm -hmm. art and not feel like I'm benefiting him directly. I think it's harder or the discussion is more, I don't know, controversial when the person is still living because then you indulging in their art directly benefits a shitty person that's still alive, still making money from that. Yeah, I think that's a really wise, you know, well said way of putting it. Um, but it's basically an argument that there's not like really a right or wrong answer. It's hard. Yeah, you know? it's hard. It's really hard to answer it. I but do we think whether or not we should um we should continue to listen to this is not the question. The question that I want to know is do you think a piece of art absorbs that artist's energy? Oh, interesting. Oh man. So like because we know now that Michael Jackson was haunted. If I listen to his music, will it make me get haunted? I don't even know. That's a really good question. I don't know. Right. Wait, what do you think? Well, Alyssa, that's a perfect segue into the story that I'm about to tell you. It's almost like we're professionals. Yeah, it is almost. <laughs> and you know when I'm about to tell you a story because I put on my scary story voice. Oh, shit. And everyone's getting tingles in their spines asmr okay haunted asmr <laughs> Alyssa. yes the story i am about to tell you today uh -huh. has no way out what the nature of this horrifying case is graphic unsettling inhumane and just plain unjust the details of this case will unnerve you if you let it 
The evidence I'm going to reveal to you will haunt you for the rest of your life. Do you consent? I have no choice, Natalia. We make this podcast on Sundays. I have a very finite time for us to record. Yeah, I have to consent, and you know that. Don't fuck me up too bad. Let's begin. It's a spring day in 1942 when a healthy baby is born in Chicago, Illinois. It's a boy. The child is the second and only son of Marianne Elaine Robinson and her husband, John Stanley Gacy. John, an auto repair machinist and a World War vet, is a proud new father of this precious American baby boy. The couple names the baby John Wayne after his father, John Stanley. As a child, John Wayne was chubby and lacked athleticism. He was the closest to the females in his life, his two sisters and mother, but he found it difficult to get along with the males in his life. John Wayne's father, John Stanley, was known to be an alcoholic and physically abusive to his wife and children. Additionally, John Stanley never fully accepted or approved of his son. John Wayne never received his father's approval, so he had a difficult relationship with him, to say the least. His father called John Wayne, quote, dumb and stupid when he related him to his sisters, leaving John Wayne to feel that he was never good enough in his father's eyes. Although their relationship was toxic and unsupportive, John Wayne did not hate his father. Instead, John Wayne continued to seek his father's approval. However, he was unsuccessful. According to Wikipedia, one of John Wayne's earliest childhood memories was of being beaten with a leather belt at the age of four for accidentally disarranging car engine components his father had assembled. On another occasion, he was struck across the head with a broomstick and rendered unconscious. When he was just six years old, John Wayne stole a toy truck from a neighborhood store. His mother made him walk back to the store, return the toy, and apologize to the owners. His mother informed his father, who beat John with a belt as punishment. After this incident, John's mother attempted to shield her son from his father's verbal and physical abuse, yet this only succeeded in John earning accusations that he was a, quote, sissy and a, quote, mama's boy, who would, quote, probably grow up queer. In 1949, when John was nine years old, John's father was informed that his son and another boy had been caught sexually fondling a young girl. John's father whipped his son with a razor strop as punishment. Do you know what a razor strop is, by the way? Because I looked that up. I had no idea what it was. No, but it sounds traumatic. So a leather strop is a piece of leather used to hone the blade of a razor. It's a flexible strip of leather, canvas, denim, fabric, balsa wood, or another soft material, which is used to straighten and polish the blade of a straight razor or a knife. And in other cases, especially when abrasive polishing compound is used, stropping may remove a small amount of metal. Stropping can also burnish, which is push metal around on the blade. And I'm going to show you a picture of what that looks like. Okay, I'm going to describe it for you guys. So Natalia is showing me what looks like a leather belt. And then there's a switchblade. It looks like a switchblade laying across it's it. It's a straight razor. A straight razor. So basically, the I, if I understand you correctly, this leather, this piece of leather is used to sharpen a, a knife. Yeah, and it's like... 
what the fuck also so okay first of all i had lots of thoughts about this right so basically it doesn't feel fucking great to be whipped with something that's literally can like rearrange metal on a blade you know yeah of course also what the fuck like since when can fabric shape metal you know i yeah i did not know that so this must be a super strong durable kind of material yeah like if you were if i were to ask you Alyssa, who would win in a fight a small strip of leather or a sharp blade which one would you think would win uh, i would i would say the sharp blade yeah but it's not and that's yeah, but why now i'm wrong world. yeah nothing is as it seems and that's why the world is haunted also good for fabric being able to shape metal you go girl <laughs> we can all aspire to be leather strops in the in a world full of straight razors <laughs> in 1949 the same year that john was beaten with the leather strop John Wayne was molested. The abuser was a family friend. A contractor would take John Wayne for rides in his truck and then fondle him. John never told his father about these incidents because he was afraid that his father would blame him for the abuse. John suffered also from poor health. In fourth grade, John started to experience blackouts because of a heart condition. He was hospitalized because of seizures and even once in 1957 for a burst appendix. Because of this, he was ordered to avoid all sports at school. Between 14 and 18, he had spent almost an entire year in the hospital for these episodes. Wow. And his grades suffered due to these hospitalizations. John Wayne's father suspected that the episodes were an effort to gain sympathy and attention and openly accused his son of faking the condition as the boy lay in a hospital bed. Although John's mother, sisters, and a few close friends never doubted his illness, his medical condition was never conclusively diagnosed. What do you think of that? Uh, I have some thoughts. I think it's really fucked up when people try to say, like, oh, you're not sick. It's all in your head. Like, to people that have autoimmune disease, for example, or other types of illnesses where they're sick all the time, and that, like, that is so frustrating. And so I can't imagine how frustrating it would be as a child, especially to be laying in pain in a hospital bed. And the person that's supposed to believe and protect you the most, who's your father, is just calling you a liar. Like that to me right. sounds really traumatic. Can you imagine like having a seizure and waking up in the hospital and your dad being like, if you ever pull one of those again i would be like what the fuck like i can't help what do you mean well and especially as a child because at least when you're an adult maybe you can stand up for yourself more but as a child you're just like what what did i do wrong like why is my parent upset with me so according to wikipedia one of john's friends at high school recalled several instances in which john's father had ridiculed or beat his son without provocation and on one occasion in 1957 the same friend witnessed an incident at the gacy household in which gacy's father began shouting at his son for no reason and then started hitting him gacy's mother attempted to intervene but the friend recalled that gacy simply quote put up his hands to defend himself adding that he never struck his father back during these physical altercations so john's father never fully accepts him but it's beyond that there's something in the younger john that just makes him angry like he just can't get over i don't know what it was about his son but there's just something about his son that he thinks is dishonest he thinks is deceitful and but also he thinks his son is like you know can't stand up for himself and it just seems like anything his son does just makes him angry Right, I agree. Okay. 
1960, at the age of 18, in an attempt to seek acceptance from others that he never got from his father, John Wayne Gacy became involved in politics, working as an assistant precinct captain for a Democratic Party candidate in his neighborhood. This decision earned more criticism from his father, who accused his son of being a patsy. Do you know what a patsy is? Is it a derogatory term for an effeminate man or is it a communist? I don't know. This is the 50s, right? Right. So it's actually like a little bit deeper than that. But yeah, this is the 1960s. So um, a patsy is a person who's easily swindled, deceived, coerced, persuaded, or like a sucker. It's also a person upon whom the blame for something falls like a scapegoat or a fall guy, a person who's the object of a joke, ridicule, or the like. So his son being called a patsy for helping out this Democratic uh, Party candidate is basically his dad's being like, you know, why are you helping that guy out? He's going to end up blaming a bunch of stuff on you and you're just going to be a scapegoat, you know? Right. Like they're going to use you. Yeah, like he's taking you a for a ride. Here's, or maybe he's using you for your work. He doesn't care about you. He just needs another pair of boots on the ground or something. So the same year Gacy became a Democratic candidate, his father bought him a car with the title of the vehicle being in his father's name until Gacy had completed the monthly repayments. These repayments took several years to complete, obviously, and his father would confiscate the keys to the vehicle if Gacy did not do as his father said. On one occasion, in 1962, Gacy bought an extra set of keys after his father had confiscated the original set. In response, his father removed the distributor cap from the vehicle, withholding the component for three days. In response, John Wayne Gacy left the family home and drove to Las Vegas, Nevada. Initially, he found work within the ambulance service, but then he was soon after transferred to be an attendant at Palm Mortuary. So basically, his dad buys him this car, and it's like another way to control him. It's like, you got to make the payments on these, this car, and then you can have it, so I'll let you drive it. But until you've made the payments on it, then, you know, the car's mine. So anytime he would do something his dad didn't like, the dad would take away the keys. And to get around that, Gacy bought an extra set of keys, but then his father, like, literally took a part of the car. That's just terrible parenting. Right. He flees his home, and then he's transferred to be an attendant at Palm Mortuary in Las Vegas. Now, here's where things start to get kind of weird, and it starts to sort of take a turn, because up until now, John Wayne Gacy's story is that of a victim who suffered emotional, physical, and sexual abuse at the hands of his close family friends, even his own father. His health was poor, and he seemed to have no hobbies other than getting hospitalized, right? Right. That Yeah, that's not even a hobby. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but we should have known that he was sketch when he decided to become a politician. That's all I'm saying. Oh, you know? yeah. We've talked about this before on this podcast, for sure. Yeah. So as a mortuary attendant, Gacy slept on a cot behind the embalming room. He worked in this role for three months, observing morticians embalming dead bodies, and later confessed that... On one evening while alone, he had clambered into the coffin of a deceased teenage male, embracing and caressing the body before experiencing a sense of shock. This event prompted Gacy to call his mother the very next day and ask whether his father would allow him to return home. His father agreed, and the same day, Gacy drove back to Chicago to live with his family. I'm cringing inside. That's very disturbing. Side note. Did you know that Palm Mortuary is still operating? 
Wow. Is it do they have pictures of John Wayne Gacy up saying, hey, this guy used to work here? No, but they're actually doing really well. They have seven locations in Las Vegas now, and they have a 4.6 star rating on Yelp with over 1,179 reviews. Well, I guess they did something right then. Also, side note, um, you said that he slept on a cot in the mortuary, right? Yeah, not normal, right? Right. Okay, but I read a book about uh, medical examiners and like people that do autopsies and stuff and she was basically listing all of like the craziest deaths she's ever seen the author was and one of the craziest deaths that she ever knew about was a guy that worked in a mortuary decided to take a nap and so he like laid down on a stretcher and took a nap and i guess some attendants like some assistants were there and they thought that the that the guy taking the nap was the dead body of a car (gasps) crash victim that came in so they literally stuck him into the crematorium he was alive but asleep they stuck him into the crematorium and turned it on and that thing burns so hot that it turns you into ash in a matter of seconds and the last thing they heard like the reason why they knew they fucked up was because they just heard him screaming like bloody murder for a few seconds and then nothing and there's nothing they could do because it burns so hot so fast and then they opened it back up and he was just a pile of ash that is like terrifying yes I had to read about it, so now you have to know about it. This is a real thing that happened in the United States. That is, like, hurting my feelings. Like, I don't know how else to express that besides that hurts my feelings. Like, I what? have lived I have lived with this knowledge. I read this book, like, four years ago. I have lived with this knowledge for four years, and now you must be cursed with it as well. How guilty would you feel as those people? I can't. And I can't. also, how oh. terrifying would that be to wake up and know that, like, last second of your life is that's it? Like, that's what happened. Like, it was probably just, like, a horrifying realization. I don't even know if you would fully realize what was happening. Like, I would think I had gone to hell. I don't even know what I would think. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Fuck, dude. I hate you so much right now. Yeah. Fuck you. I'm trying to tell you a scary story and you just fucked me up. I'm sorry, but I if I had to hear about this, you have to hear about it. Jesus. Back to my fucked up mortuary story. So obviously that event at the mortuary where Gacy, you know, got into bed with a dead teenage male and embraced him, um, which I think is a euphemism for like, probably did sexual things with the body yeah it sounds like he fondled him right that's what it yeah says. yeah that really shocked him and he decides that you know after that he's like what the fuck i'm not gonna be this guy that you know like fondles dead bodies anymore i'm <laughs> oh going to God. get my life <laughs> i'm going to get my shit together i'm gonna get my life together i'm gonna oh walk the straight God. and narrow so Gacy goes back to Chicago and he enrolls in Northwestern Business College and he graduates in 1963. And after this, he really is just like sky's the limit with this guy. So he takes a management trainee position with this shoe company. And then a year later, the shoe company transfers him to Springfield, Missouri to work as a salesman. And then he gets promoted to manager of his department. And then he gets engaged to this woman named Marilyn Myers, who's a coworker in the department he managed. Side note, I think Marilyn Myers is probably like super stoked. She's thinking like, wow, I'm engaged to this guy in my department and like he has like all this stuff going for him and like things are really going to work out for me. Like I'm slaying, you know? Yeah. Poor, poor Marilyn. <laughs> she didn't deserve it. Right. Of like this. she doesn't. 
she doesn't know about like the mortuary times. You well, know? yeah, I'm assuming he didn't like broadcast. Hey, guys, this defining moment in my life was when I fondled a dead body. By the way, now I work in this department <laughs> store or whatever. <laughs> also, Can you, you said, imagine you said earlier that he was like, "Wow, I don't want to be this guy that's fondling <laughs> dead bodies." I just want to say that if if that. Ha- thought crosses your mind you have already hit rock bottom and you need to like seek therapy immediately i don't know if there's a path to redemption for you if that thought crosses your mind we leave that up to god yeah 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 that's right that's out of my hands during his courtship with Marilyn, gacy joins this thing called the jc's and he becomes a tireless worker for the organization he's even named key man for the organization in april so he got he gets there for one month and then he joins this thing called the jc's and then he's like literally the main dude of it within less than a month do you know what the jc's are uh junior college (laughs) no that's juco oh (laughs) So the JCs are the United States Junior Chamber. They're also known as the JCs because it stands for JCI USA. It's a nonprofit leadership training and civic organization for people between the ages of 18 and 40, and it provides opportunities for young men to develop personal and leadership skills through service to others. Areas of emphasis are business development, management skills, individual training, community service, and international connections. So it's basically like a boys club for business and like being good you know like like they do community service and they probably do like presentations and speeches and things like that to keep them just very charismatic and able to succeed um but it's for young men only and their creed is that faith in god gives meaning and purpose to human life the brotherhood of man transcends the sovereignty of nations Economic justice can be best won by free men through free enterprise, and governments shall be of laws rather than of men, and the earth's great treasure lies in human personality, and the service to humanity is the great work of life. So it's basically like a super, almost like anti-government, more power to the individual, more power to the man um type thing you know they're like they're like talking about like doing right in god and humanity which is like normal bullshit that things like nonprofits will say but then they also have these things about like the earth's greatest treasure is in human personality and governments should be laws rather than men and economic justice is best won by free men through free enterprise so it's like capitalism and like you know what i mean it's just kind of like this weird fraternal brotherhood sort of thing yeah it sounds like a mixture of a lot of different political ideologies it sounds kind of confusing to me yeah i know like like the brotherhood of man transcends the sovereignty of nations but also you know government should be laws rather than men yeah that's the part that confused me because at first i was like oh it's maybe it's like a libertarian organization but then it was talking about laws and i'm like no that can't be it then unless it's a metaphor that i'm not understanding because i'm a simpleton yeah i think both (laughs) (laughs) so coincidentally the same year that gacy joins the jc's he has his second homosexual experience And one of his colleagues in the Springfield JCs gets him drunk and invites him to spend the evening upon his sofa. And then the college, quote, performs oral sex upon him while he was drunk. And I just want to say, like, anytime someone says, like, this person performed oral sex on me while I was drunk. No, that's that's called sexual assault. 
that's not yeah. that's not called a homosexual experience that's called rape i mean that's my opinion maybe i don't understand the situation but to me the description you just read sounds like non-consensual sexual contact but i think what it sounds like is it sounds like he's not accusing the other person of rape though he's merely saying like oh this homosexual activity happened to me while i was drunk it's like he's trying to take away ownership from it you know like i feel like he's just like this closeted gay guy that's like his sexuality is he's so afraid of it that he like literally the only time he gets to be gay is if he's fondling a dead body or he's saying like oh i was just really drunk and then this person just gave me a blowjob you know oh, like he's I see what trying you're saying. to act like it's not his thing so by 1965 gacy has really come up in this jc's organization he's now vice president of the springfield jc's and he's named the third most outstanding jc within the state of illinois so he's just super up there in the jc's and then Meanwhile, after dating for six months, Gacy and Myers marry in September of 1964. Wait, so he cheated thinking, on her. He cheated on her with this guy when he if if yeah. if he wasn't sexually assaulted and he did just have like a fling while he was drunk, then that means he cheated on her. Yes. And I love that you're more outraged about him cheating on his fiance than him fondling the dead bodies there's literally nothing positive i can say about fondling a dead body so that (laughs) maybe is why it seemed like i glossed over that (laughs) right that's true um so they get married and and i'm just thinking like this girl must think like wow i really did it i married my boss and now he's like super popular in this jc thing and then here's a fucking crazy twist marilyn's father And just because he likes, you know, Gacy so much, he's so charismatic, he buys three Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurants in Waterloo, Iowa, and the newlyweds move to Waterloo so that John Wayne Gacy can manage the restaurants with the understanding that the newlyweds would move into Marilyn's parents' old home, which was vacated for the new couple. And so basically, Marilyn's dad's like, hey, I bought these three KFCs. You come manage them. And then um, you move into our home that we used to live in. We'll empty it out for you guys. This so guy it's a hit super the jackpot. Gacy hit the jackpot with this marriage. I know. The offer is super lucrative. Gacy's going to receive $15,000 per year, which back then was the equivalent of $115,000 as of 2020. So it's a pretty good job for someone who didn't even finish high school, you know? And Definitely. he's going to share a profit of, uh, and plus he's going to share profits earned via the restaurant. So it's a oh, great wow. deal for him. And after Gacy moves to Waterloo, he starts managing these KFCs. He is just kind of like a baller. He opens up a, quote, club in his basement where his employees could drink alcohol and play pool. Now, here's where it gets kind of dicey. HR nightmare. Yeah. So Gacy employs teenagers of both sexes at his restaurants, but he only socializes with young male employees. And many of the young male employees were given alcohol before Gacy made sexually advances on them. And then if they rebuff, he just claims that his advances were like jokes or a test of morals. And like, side note, when someone tries to kiss you and then you don't like respond to it and they're like, ha, funny joke. Like, <laughs> that's such that's frat boy not, behavior. Yeah. Yeah. That's like very sketchy. So I, and also, yeah, if you also are like, oh, I was just testing to see if you like were, were going to kiss me because that would be bad if you did. 
Like, get the far away from that person. And if you are so ashamed of your actions that you can't take ownership of something because you're afraid it's going to make you look stupid, like, change that behavior right now because this did not work out for Go Gacy, to- as you guys will see. Gacy's wife obviously has no idea that any of this is going on. And uh, she's pregnant throughout the majority of this. And she gives birth to a son in February of 1966 and then a daughter in March of 1967. So a lot lot of this is going on. She's just like pregnant. She's a homemaker. She's happy. She's newlywed. You know, she's not paying attention to. Has no idea. Yeah, she's not like worried about like a secret club in her basement where her husband is like getting young boys drunk and like trying to touch their dick and then being like, oh, that was a test to see if you would let me. You're going to go to hell because you let me. Well, also, she's probably thinking like, oh, wow, my husband really respects me because he's not inviting the young women over. He's inviting only the men because he has so much respect for me. Yeah, exactly what's happening. So... Gacy himself describes this period of his life as, quote, perfect. He says he had earned his father's approval, which he had long sought, obviously. And when his parents visit in July in 1966, his father even apologizes for the abuse that he inflicted during Gacy's childhood and says, son, I was wrong about you. Wow. Yeah. So it almost in some ways makes me kind of wonder, like, did his dad actually know more about him than, like, you know, we think? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So now that he has his father's approval, John gets cocky. In fact, it seems like the true John Wayne Gacy starts coming out, maybe because he no longer needs anything from anyone, or perhaps he's just too comfortable with his life now. We may never know. But for whatever reason, John Wayne Gacy starts some behavior that is highly addicting for himself and dangerous for all his peers. In Waterloo, Iowa, Gacy joined the local chapter of the Jaycees. And remember in Springfield, he was like the key man at the organization? Yes. So he comes in hot right off of this, you know, other organization. And he comes in and he starts after he's been managing for like the entire day at the other restaurant or whatever. He comes in there and he starts fundraising for them and gets them more money than they've ever had. And people like either love him or hate him. They're like, he's super ambitious and he's really good at fundraising, but he's like kind of a dick. He's kind of obnoxious (laughs) and like... He becomes um, the outstanding vice president of the Waterloo JCs. And then side note, another weird shit that he did that people didn't like is that at meetings, he provided free KFC fried chicken from his restaurants, that's but he dope. insisted on being called Colonel. Oh, no, that's obnoxious. Yeah, he wanted people to call him Colonel. Yeah, no, no, that's a red flag. Now, Alyssa, would you believe it that many JCs in Waterloo were involved in wife-swapping, prostitution, pornography, and drug use? You know, yes. If this podcast has taught me anything, it's that any wholesome organization is actually just a front for debauchery. Yes. And would you believe that Gacy was on board of the director for the Waterloo JCs? Well, makes sense. And would you believe that Gacy was deeply involved in many of these activities and regularly had sex with local prostitutes? Seems like that kind of guy. Yeah, but like at this point, wife swapping, prostitution, pornography, and drug use really don't seem that bad compared to what is about to happen. Okay. 
so here's where things take a really dark turn for John. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this stuff because I want to get to the reason that I found out about this story last night. And I want to get to the, the spin on this that I have. So in 1967, John Wayne Gacy tells this 15-year-old, Donald Voorhees, who's the son of a fellow JC, to come to his house. And he's like, you come to my house. I'm going to show you some porn. And the kid's like, okay. He comes over. He gets drunk. And then Gacy asks Voorhees to perform oral sex upon him. Immediately, Voorhees tells his dad that Gacy sexually assaulted him, and his father immediately informs the police, and Gacy is immediately arrested and subsequently charged with oral sodomy in relation to Voorhees, which is honestly, like, that's, fuck yeah, like, that's what should happen. Yeah, good for that kid, for for telling his dad. Good for and good for the dad. So um, Gacy obviously denies these charges, and then he demands to take a polygraph. And the polygraph results come back negative, but they note that Gacy was nervous when he denied any of the wrongdoing. And Gacy publicly denies these charges. He says it's all politically motivated because the kid's dad had opposed Gacy's nomination for appointment as president of the Iowa JCs. And several of the JCs found this story credible and they rallied to his support. And I'm kind of like, what the fuck? Like, this is like a stupid, like basically YMCA club. Like, why (laughs) would someone care so much about you becoming president of it that they would like literally have their son accuse you of sodomy like what well that reminds me just of like small towns like small town mom behavior where the president of the pta is like a sought after position and it's like do you not realize that this is the most unimportant and insignificant position you can hold like why are you getting so riled up about it i know and then gacy gets he gets indicted on the sodomy charge so over the next few months he's trying to you know repair his reputation and he's saying like this kid is a liar and he's like denying everything but then he does something really weird for someone who's innocent he uh persuades one of his 18-year-old employees named Russell Schroeder to physically assault Voorhees in an effort to discourage him from testifying against him. He gives the kid $300 to lure Voorhees into a secluded spot, spray mace in his face, and beat him. Schroeder agrees, and he does it, but Voorhees escapes and then immediately reports the assault to the police, who immediately identify Schroeder as his attacker, and then Schroeder is immediately arrested, and then the following day, he confesses that Gacy paid him 300 bucks to do it. Gacy is immediately arrested and additionally charged in relation to hiring Schroeder to assault and intimidate Voorhees. So... Which is so stupid because, like, the whole reason you're in this position is because the kid literally told on you. So, like, what were you thinking was going to happen right. when you <laughs> hire someone to assault him? Yeah, you know? this is the kind of kid that is brave enough to tell the police about a sexual assault. So, of course, he's going to say, oh, also, he jumped, he hired someone to jump me. Right. So after this event, the police are like, well, that was really stupid. And clearly, you know, John Wayne Gacy isn't planning things out. He's not thinking things through really well. So we don't understand what's going on. So they order him to go to psychiatric evaluation at the psychiatric hospital of the state of University of Iowa. And two doctors examine Gacy over a period of 17 days before concluding that Gacy had an antisocial personality disorder, which is disorder which incorporates constructs such as sociopathy and psychopathy. They also conclude that he's unlikely to benefit from any therapy or medical treatment and that his behavior pattern was likely to bring him into repeated conflict with society. They also conclude that he was mentally competent to stand trial. So 
basically they're saying like hey we think this guy has like this personality disorder that's going to cause problems for him for the rest of our his life and problems for other people and he doesn't show any empathy towards what he did and he's just going to do it again also there's no treatment we can think of that will help him right also we think he is competent to stand trial so they try him and on november 7th 1968 he pleads guilty to one count of sodomy in relation to Voorhees. But meanwhile, there's a ton of other charges that are related to other youth that are coming up because after Voorhees says this, other people come out of the woodwork and they start saying that, like, he, you know, he sexually assaulted me and, like, you know, people are getting the courage from this to come forth and say say things. Also, Gacy tricked several teenagers into believing that he was commissioned with conducting homosexual experiments in the interest of scientific research what? and paid each of them 50 bucks, which is a lot of money back then. So that would be, like, the equivalent to getting paid, like, $500 today. Jeez. Yeah, so he basically was, like, doing a bunch of stuff that just, like, wasn't... He was tricking a lot of children into doing sexual acts and services for him against their will or under false pretenses. And he goes to prison. He's sentenced to 10 years of imprisonment to be served at the Anamosa State Penitentiary. And that same day, his wife, Marilyn, remember with the two kids? Right. She petitions for a divorce, and she requests a ward of the couple's home and property, sole custody of their two children, and alimony. The court rules in Marilyn's favor, and the divorce was finalized in September 18, 1969. Gacy never saw his first wife or children ever again. And honestly, I'm just like, okay, Marilyn, you go girl, you know, like you married your gay boss so that your dad would give you three KFCs in a house. <laughs> and then when he turned out to be a child rapist, you got the fuck out with all of your loot and you protected your children and yourself. Slay. Yeah. Right? So all things considered, Marilyn came out of this on top. She totally did. Um, so unfortunately, Gacy does really well in prison. He's super charismatic. Within months of his arrival, he rose to the position of head cook. He joined the inmate JC chapter and increased their membership figure from 50 to 650 in the span of less than 18 Whoa. months. I know. It's like, what, who the fuck are these JCs also? <laughs> He's also known to have both secured an increase in the, the inmates daily pay in the prison mess hall and to have supervised several projects to improve the conditions for inmates at the prison. On one occasion, Gacy oversaw the installation of a miniature golf course in the prison recreation yard. So, you know, people don't like, ch like child molesters in prison. They get right. killed. Usually yeah. they get just bad things happen to them. So I wonder if he did all of this, like, in an effort to not get his ass beat and get killed, you know? Right, or maybe, I mean, we don't know what he said to people in prison either. He could have said, hey, it was all a lie. It was because of my political rival's son, blah, blah, blah. Right. That's true. That's very accurate. So in June of 1969, Gacy applies to get early release and the application is denied. May 1970, Gacy completes 16 high school courses for which he obtains his diploma. So then Gacy gets granted parole and there's only two there's only two conditions of this that he move back in with his mom in Chicago and that he observe a 10 p.m. curfew so the parole board is going to monitor his progress so they let him go back into society and what do you think do you think he's it worked do you think the prison system healed him no because he's a psychopath and a sociopath so nothing can heal him 
Oh, listen, you listen to science. (laughs) So upon his release from prison, Gacy tells a friend and a fellow JC that, uh, hey, can you pick me up from prison? And his friend, who obviously believed him and thought the kid was full of shit through all of this, picks him up. And then on his drive back, uh, on his drive back, he's saying, I'm never going to go back to jail and I'm going to reestablish myself in Waterloo, even though they told me that I have to go back to Chicago. Like, I'm going to figure it out. So then he's saying all that stuff to his friends and he goes to Chicago. He starts working his way up. He becomes a short order cook in a restaurant. And um, then he's not having a great time because some other things keep coming up. Other children are charging him with sexual assault. There's two instances that happen while he's on parole. On February 12, 1971, Gacy's charged with sexually assaulting a teenage boy who claimed that Gacy had lured him into his car at Chicago's Greyhound bus terminal and driven him to his home, where he attempted to force the boy into sex. This complaint was dismissed, however, when the boy failed to appear in court. And then secondly... The Iowa Board of Parole did not learn about this incident, which had obviously violated the conditions of his parole. So in eight months later, his parole ended and he no longer had the curfew. And then the records of his previous criminal convictions in Iowa were sealed. So now he's basically a free man. So he buys a house because he no longer has to live with his mom. He buys a house in this metropolitan part of Chicago. And again, he starts rising up the ranks. He becomes super active in his local community. His neighbors are like, he's super helpful. He's always willing to loan us construction tools. And he plows snow from the neighborhood free of charge. And between the years of 1974 and 1978, he hosted the annual summer parties, which were attended by hundreds of people, including politicians. Here's a photo of him with First Lady Rosalind. Carter um, in 1978. Ew. See, I was shaking hands with her. No, she's beautiful, but ew. He's gross. I know. So Gacy becomes super active in the local Democratic Party politics, initially offering the labor services of his employees for this manufacturing company that he, or for this um, building company that he has to clean party headquarters for free. And then in 1975, he's appointed the director of Chicago's annual Polish Constitution Day Parade. Um, He meets First Lady and, you know, so like he's doing really well, right? Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't, uh, if you met somebody like that who has a successful business, who, you know, is having all these parties every year, who everyone says like, oh, he's super nice. He's just a good guy. Like you wouldn't think anything of them. Right. So in 1971, he becomes engaged to Carol Hoff, who is a divorcee with two young daughters. And Hoff, whom he briefly dated in high school, had been a friend of his younger sister, so she probably believed like that he wasn't at fault. So his fiance and his stepdaughters move into his home soon after the couple announced their engagement, and Gacy's mother moves out of the home after their wedding. So he kicks his mom out of the house, and he brings in a whole new family, which is just like a classic beard. Do you know what a beard is? Yeah, I know what a beard is. I've been a beard before. <laughs> What's a beard for people who don't know? Uh, a beard is when you're dating a gay guy. You normally don't know it, though, and the only reason why he's dating you is because... He- he wants you to be like his cover so that nobody knows he's gay it's normally for like super religious people who don't want to come to terms with their sexuality so they get a girlfriend so that they will have the appearance of being straight even though they're not right 
so it's a beard is basically like a closeted gay person wearing a disguise like yes. you're the woman in his life is a disguise so everyone's like oh he's got a wife or he's out of girlfriend like he's not gay right you're an accessory basically yes you're an accessory so um in 1975 now another weird thing happens he joins the jolly jokers and creates his own performance characters called pogo the clown and patches the clown nightmares yeah he He performs as pogo at numerous local parties political functions charitable events and children's hospitals he also uses patches at the grand openings of stores for his clients and he designs his own clowning costumes and taught himself how to apply clown makeup. He's also known to remain in his clowning garb after a performance, and on several occasions, Gacy was known to have arrived dressed in his clowning outfit in full makeup at a drinking venue called the Good Luck Lounge with the explanation that he had just performed at a charitable event and was stopping for a social drink before heading home. What do you think of that? I think the idea of a psychopath slash sociopath dressed up as a clown in a bar is the biggest nightmare I can think of. Yeah. And slash rapist slash convicted rapist, convicted child rapist. He's a super dangerous person. And he's also using this as like, I was just performing at charity. Like he wants the respect, you know, like he's wearing this outfit. That's like, people are going to ask questions about it. And he's gonna be like, I'm a charity man, you know? Right. So this company that he has is called PDM. And they basically um, are, it's like a company that paints and like demolitions and like does like, you know, like contract work. Okay. So in 1978, PDM's annual revenue was over $200,000, which is a lot. That's like $2 million a year in today's terms. And so he's doing really well. And much of the labor of his workforce of PDM consists of high school students and young men. Do you see why this could be a problem? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. So Gacy gives jobs to these kids and they're doing well. They're making more money than they would anywhere else. But he obviously uses that to his advantage. And so he propositions his workers for sex or he insists on sexual favors in return for acts such as the loaning of his vehicles, financial assistance or promotions. And then also he harasses people and claims to own guns. Like he even told an employee once do you know how easy it would be to get one of my guns and kill you and how easy it would be to get rid of the body? Hmm. Like that's like a normal conversation for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so a few events happen that that have been recorded when he went to trial where people gave testimony. And I'm going to tell you about two of these events. In 1973, Gacy and a teenage employee of PDM traveled to Florida to view property Gacy had purchased. On the first night in Florida, Gacy raped the employee in their hotel room. After returning to Chicago, he drove to Gacy's house and beat him in his yard. Gacy told his wife, who saw Gacy being beaten in the yard by one of his employees, that he had been attacked for refusing to pay the employee for poor quality work. I love that the wife saw him being beat and just watched. Like, she didn't call the cops. She didn't, like, run out and try to stop it. She just, like, after Gacy comes inside, she's like, hey, what was that all about? Right. Well, yeah. It's a classic, like, you know, when your husband is making millions of dollars a year and you're living really well, you kind of, like, turn a blind eye. Right. 
And like in that case, she was probably like, well, he's probably up to like illegal stuff or whatever. Maybe that's just a client he fucked over or something. But like, I don't want to, you know, get involved. Yeah, I don't want to get involved. Yeah. So in May of 1975, Gacy hires 15-year-old Anthony Antonucci. And in July of 1975, so like literally two and three months later, in May of 1975, Gacy hired a 15-year-old named Anthony Antonucci. In July of 1975, Gacy went to Anthony's home and the two drank a bottle of wine and then they watched a heterosexual stag film before Gacy wrestled Anthony to the floor and cuffed his hands behind his back. One of the cuffs was loose, however, and Anthony freed his arm while Gacy was out of the room. When Gacy returned, Anthony, who was a high school wrestler, pounced upon Gacy. He wrestled Gacy to the floor, obtained possession of the handcuff key, and cuffed Gacy's own hands behind his back. Oh, hell yeah. Gacy at first threatened Anthony, and then he calmed down and promised to leave if Anthony would remove the handcuffs. Anthony agreed, and Gacy left. Anthony later recalled that Gacy had told him, quote, not only are you the only one who got out of the cuffs, you also got them on me. But he, like, for some reason didn't act on that. You know, I also think, too, there's, like, a huge shame that goes with a lot of this. Oh, sure. Yeah, definitely. At a time when being gay was, you know, a reason to hide, they don't want to be like, oh, well, I had this traumatic gay experience happen to me even though it wasn't my fault, you know? Right, of course. The last thing that happens is with this person named David Cram. On July 26, 1976, Gacy picks up 18-year-old David Cram as the teenager hitchhiked on Elston Avenue. Gacy offered Cram a job with his company, PDM, and Cram began working for him the same evening. On August 21st, a month later, Cram moved into Gacy's house. The following day, Gacy, dressed as Pogo the Clown, conned Cram into donning handcuffs while Cram was drunk. Gacy swung Cram around while holding the chain linking the cuffs, then said he intended to rape him. Cram kicked Gacy in the face and freed himself from the handcuffs. One month later, Gacy appeared at Cram's bedroom door with the intention to rape him, saying, quote, Dave, you really don't know who I am. Maybe it would be good if you give me what I want. Cram resisted, straddling Gacy, who left the bedroom, stating, You ain't no fun. Shortly thereafter, Cram moved out and left PDM, although he did periodically work for Gacy over the following two years. Shortly after Cram moved out of Gacy's house, another employee, 18-year-old Michael Rossi, moved in. Rossi had worked for PDM contractors since May of 1976, and he lived with Gacy until... April of 1977 and of course some fucked up shit happened of course which I'm not going to go into but by this is time this all is happening like you have to wonder like his new wife has got to think there's something going on you know yeah I'm sure like if your husband is like a normal dude and then all of a sudden he's like going to the bar in a full clown's outfit and like (laughs) getting beat up on the lawn like yeah uh uh-huh and moving teenage boys into your house right like you gotta be like there you know there might be something to what all these people are saying right so in 1975 gacy an attempt to get his wife to like you know not know what was going on he says you know what actually i'm bisexual and after the couple have sex on mother's day of that year gacy tells his wife that this is the last time they will ever fuck which 
honestly, like, how fucking weird is that? Like, it's on Mother's Day, and you're like, this is the last time that we'll ever fuck. Happy Mother's Day. I'm bisexual. <laughs> oh, I feel for this woman. I feel for her so hard. Yeah. So after this happens, Gacy starts spending most evenings away from home, and then he returns in the early hours of the morning, and he has the excuse that he's just been working late, which is just like classic, I'm cheating on you. And his wife observes Gacy bringing teenage boys into his garage, and she finds gay pornography and men's wallets and identification cards inside the house. And then she confronts Gacy about who these items belong to. He just informs her that the property was none of her business. So I'm thinking at this point, she probably doesn't realize that he's killing these people. She just thinks like, oh, these are just guys he's hooking up with, you know, and they like left their wallet or something because like no one wants to believe that their husband is a serial killer. Then they have this heated argument about her failing to balance a checkbook correctly and she gets a divorce from him and then good for her. I know. And then he agrees to his wife's request by mutual consent. She continues to live the same house. And then her and her daughter move out into their own apartment. And a month later, she files for divorce. And she has it, like, on the false grounds that he had infidelity with other women. Like, as a way of saving face, I guess, for both of them. Right. So now Gacy does the thing that gets him in trouble. On December 11th of 1978, he goes to this pharmacy in Des Plaines to discuss a potential remodeling deal with the store owner, whose name is Phil Tort. But while he's there, he sees this 15-year-old, and his name is Robert Piast, and he tells him that, hey, you know, we often need people to work for us, and I can offer you $5 an hour, which is double the pay that he earns at the pharmacy. So that was like a way to lure him. And then he lures Peist into his car and Peist never returns. And everyone's kind of like, well, what happened to the kid that was working at the pharmacy? Someone's like, well, I think I saw him leave with uh, John Wayne That weird Gacy. fucking clown guy. Yeah. Yeah. But then like John Wayne Gacy is like, well, I didn't do that, you know? And he's like, that's <laughs> not what happened. And then everyone's so fucking stupid that they're like, oh, well, he said it didn't happen. So like, well, it probably didn't. So therefore didn't. it didn't happen. He's an upstanding member of the JCs. Therefore he can never do anything wrong. Right. So what happens is they find it fishy that this kid went missing and they start looking into John Wayne Gacy and they're like well he actually works for this company that a few of his employees have like gone missing too hmm this is kind of weird so they have two guys work as surveillance to follow him around and John Wayne Gacy knows these guys are following him so he's going to be on his best behavior because they don't have a warrant to go into his house so they're trying to like find reason right and it's gotten to the point that he knows they're following him around and so on some occasions he even like invites them in to have dinner and like takes them to a bar for like a drink and stuff and is like I know you guys are watching me but you're never going to find anything on me He's just like super cocky about it. At around this time, he, you know, because he's under surveillance, he starts drinking heavily. He's not sleeping very well. He's losing weight. He's just nervous. So they finally get a warrant. They go into his house and they find some very strange things, including several police badges and a six millimeter brevetta starter pistol inside an office drawer and a syringe, and a hypodermic needle inside a cabinet in Gacy's bathroom. Investigators also find handcuffs, books on homosexuality and pederasty, seven pornographic films, amnil nitrate, 
and an 18-inch dildo in his bedroom. Whoa, no, 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 no. A 39-inch long 2x4 with two holes drilled into each end, bottles of Valium and atropine, several driver's licenses that were found in the northwest bedroom, a blue hooded parka found atop a toolbox inside the laundry room, and underwear too small to fit Gacy was located inside a bathroom closet. In the northwest bedroom, investigators found a Maine West High School ring, but the ring was not Pice. The ring was a class of 1975 ring engraved with the initials JAS. Photo receipt from the Nissan pharmacy was also recovered from a trash can alongside a section of nylon rope measuring 36 inches. So now this shit is sketch, right? Yeah, it looks like he's drugging young boys while pretending to be a police officer. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. And the piece of wood with the two holes in it is used to strangle people you'll he puts them up against the wood and then through one hole ties like a string through the other side around the person's throat and strangles them that's like what that's most likely used for the thing that ends up taking him out is not any of that evidence it's the photo of the receipt from the pharmacy because what happens is that receipt they find out who bought something that day and it was one of the pharmacy girls um, had bought something and borrowed a jacket from the kid who went missing and she says oh I stuffed that receipt in the pocket and then gave the jacket to the kid so now they're like well why did that receipt show up at John Wayne Gacy's house he must have had the jacket there and that's enough for them to get him on trial he goes on to trial and he confesses to so much more than they even found on the evening of December 20th Gacy drives to his lawyer's office in Park Ridge to attend a pre-scheduled meeting that he had arranged with them ostensibly to discuss the progress of this civil suit upon his arrival Gacy appeared disheveled and immediately asked for an alcoholic drink whereupon his lawyer fetched a bottle of whiskey from his car upon his return he asked Gacy what he wanted to discuss with them Gacy picked up a copy of the Daily Herald from his desk. He pointed to a front page article covering the disappearance of Robert Pius and informed his lawyers, the boy is dead, he's in a river. Over the following hours, Gacy gave a rambling confession that ran into the early hours of the following morning. He began by informing his lawyers that he had, quote, been the judge, jury, and executioner of many, many people, and now he wanted to be the same for himself. He stated that most of his victims were buried in his crawl space and others in the Des Plaines River. Gacy dismissed his victims as male prostitutes, hustlers, and liars to whom he gave the rope trick, adding that he occasionally awoke to find dead, strangled kids on his floor with their hands cuffed behind their back. He had buried their bodies in his crawl space as he believed that they were his property. As the result of the alcohol he had consumed, Gacy fell asleep midway through his confession, and his lawyer immediately arranged a psychiatric appointment for Gacy at 9 a.m. that morning. Upon awakening several hours later, Gacy simply shook his head when informed by the lawyers that he had earlier confessed to killing approximately 30 people, stating, well, I can't think about this right now. I've got other things to do. Ignoring his lawyer's advice regarding his scheduled appointment, Gacy left their office to attend to the needs of his business. 
He later recollected his memories of the final day of freedom as being hazy, adding that he knew his arrest was inevitable and that in his final hours of freedom, he intended to visit his friends and say his final farewells. Upon leaving his lawyer's office, Gacy drove to a Shell gas station where in the course of filling his rental car, he handed a small bag of cannabis to the attendant, Lance Jacobson. Jacobson immediately handed the bag to the surveillance officers, adding that Gacy had told him, the end is coming for me. These guys are going to kill me. Gacy then drove to the home of the fellow contractor, Ronald Road. Inside Road's living room, Gacy hugged Road before bursting into tears, saying, I've been a bad boy. I've killed 30 people, give or take a few. Gacy then left Road and drove to David Cram's home to meet with Cram and Rossi. Surveillance officers noted that he was holding a rosary to his chin as he prayed while driving. In fear that he was going to take his own life, they decided to just book him on the marijuana because he had given that kid the marijuana and they're like, this guy's going to kill himself. Right. So we're just going to take him easy for thing. that. Yeah. So he does that. And the stuff that they find in this crawl space is disgusting. Armed with a signed search warrant, police and evidence technicians drive to Gacy's home. And upon their arrival, they find that Gacy had unplugged his sump pump and that the crawl space under his house that he confessed was filled with dead bodies was flooded with water. All they had to do to clear the water was just plug it back in. So they plugged it back in and it drained, but just further showing that he's like not all there, you know, like he didn't have a plan at all. Right. After it had done so, evidence technician Daniel Genty entered the 28 by 38 foot crawl space crawled to the southwest area and began digging. Within minutes, he had uncovered putrefied flesh and human arm bone. Genty immediately shouted to the investigators that they could charge Gacy with murder. Genty added that the remark that, quote, I think this place is full of kids. Disgusting. Oh. The victim was too decomposed to be pious, and as the body was later unearthed, a crime scene technician discovered the skull of a second victim alongside the body. Later excavations of the feet of the second victim revealed a further skull beneath the body. Because of this, technicians returned to the trench where the first body was unearthed, discovering the ribcage of a fourth victim within the crawl space, confirming the scale of the murders. So as they're digging around in this crawl space, they find 30 some odd body parts. So many so that they can't even identify all of them. And to this day, they can't identify all of them. Gacy is you know now they've got 30 bodies and they've got this long rambling confession from him his lawyers are like hey you need to plead that you're insane um but obviously they have evidence that shows he's not insane and that this was premeditated and that he can stand trial as being competent and he ends up going to jail he gets put on death row and something strange happens to him can you guess what happens to him while he's in jail does he get murdered? No. He gets a craving for the arts, Alyssa. Oh, oh. This motherfucker starts painting and drawing. And the drawings that he's creating, I'm going to show you a few of them right now. Here's some examples of them. Oh, they're clowns. Oh my gosh, this is disturbing. Yeah. Okay. So I'll describe this to the listeners. We'll post this onto the Instagram, but it's looks like paintings of here's a clown. It looks like a painting of him in a clown suit to me. It's like a chubby clown with the full clown makeup on holding balloons in a striped costume with a hat with a pom pom on in front of a forest. And here's another one. Oh, and here is a clown, but instead of a white face, it's a skull. 
is that the seven dwarves? Yeah. Yeah, that's the seven dwarves in a forest um, huddling around a fire. That's very creepy. Some landscapes and some more clowns. It's the, That's the same clown except for um, reversed. Lots of clowns, though. But what would you say about his art? Like, what do you think? His art looks like. I don't think it looks good. I think it looks like a child's painting or even worse. It just looks very creepy, very unsettling. Even if you didn't know that it was painted by a murderer, I would look at that in like a thrift store and I would be immediately creeped out. Right. So here's another photo. You can see. This is like markers. Clown. And there's there's like a skull behind the clown. I don't like that at all. No, this is gross. So my next question for you, which you answered, was like, even if you didn't know who it was, you would still think this was gross. Yeah, absolutely. For whatever reason, I don't know why. Um, In 2011, a showing titled Multiples, the artwork of John Wayne Gacy at the Art Factory in Las Vegas auctioned off many of Gacy's pieces with a variety of related memorabilia to charities on the good faith and hope that it would generate a sliver of recompensation for those who were affected by similar tragedies. Most notable on display was Gacy's costume persona and self-portrait, Pogo the Clown, a character he used prior to his incarceration at local charitable events and parties in Norwood Park Township. Obviously, all these people who are up in arms about these paintings being made and being sold because they just think it's fucked up or it's just weird, you know, they don't even need to be able to explain it. You can just not like it without being able to unexplain it. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. (laughs) They're like, some of the people buy these things and they just burn them. And to this day, they're still for sale on invaluable.com. You can Google John Wayne Gacy paintings and you can buy them. And the last thing I want to say about John Wayne Gacy uh, before I get into what makes this personal to me is that he died on death row showing no remorse at all for what he had done. In the hours leading up to Gacy's execution, a crowd estimated to number over a thousand gathered outside the correctional center, the majority of whom were vocally in favor of the execution, although a number of anti-death penalty protesters were also present. His confirmed death was at 12.58 a.m. on May 10, 1994, and his brain was removed. It's in the possession of Helen Morrison, a witness for the defense at Gacy's trial, who has interviewed Gacy and other serial killers in an attempt to isolate the common personality traits of violent sociopaths. His body was cremated after the execution. What do you want to guess what his last meal was? Oh, something stupid. If he's a clown, I bet you it's like a hamburger and a soda or something. A bucket of Kentucky fried chicken. Oh my gosh, it's even worse. A dozen fried shrimp, french fries, fresh strawberries, and a Diet Coke. That evening, he observed a prayer with a Catholic priest before being escorted to the Stateville execution chamber to receive a lethal injection. He is noted as saying, kiss my ass as his late as his last words. Come on, that totally he, defeats the purpose of meeting with a Catholic priest if that is if you're just not going to express remorse at all. Like, why did he ask to meet with a religious person if his last words are kiss my ass? Well, according to published reports, he was a diagnosed psychopath who did not express any remorse for his crimes. His final statement to his lawyer before his execution was that killing him would not compensate for the loss of others and that the state was murdering him. And his final spoken words were kiss my ass. Super haunted guy, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, like he's done everything you're not supposed to do. He was an adulterer. He was an alcoholic. He murdered people. He, he raped, raped people. children. He killed people. He was kind of just a dick. He was a politician, not cool. He what? He just <laughs> fucking did so much shit. And now he painted these paintings. So the reason that I looked this guy up, I had never heard of him before, is because last night I went to like a quarantine dinner with my boyfriend and I met two of his friends, uh, his like childhood friend and his girlfriend. And they're super cool, super nice people, you know, cool. Like he told me before we were going to go over that, like his friend was artsy and I knew that he had had like a fashion company. And this like fashion company that he has it's not like a small thing like they sell stuff on like these like hype beast type websites like essence and like forward like this is like a major brand like this is like a t-shirt from them is it's not cheap I could never afford it you know this is like some this is like you know this person has access to whatever the fuck they could want right. and I go into their house to have dinner with them to meet them and they have like all this artwork all over their house and I'm like looking at it and some of it's really weird. There's like a like a jail like cell on the wall. It's like literally the bars from a prison and then in between the bars is like a tool used to separate the bars that prisoners use to escape. But that person like I guess the artist just like made it and so he had that on the wall. He also had like a bunch of photographs that are super rare. He you know he, this person has like millions of dollars of art in their house so like me being someone who's like wow like this is really cool like looking around taking it all in I was like really impressed by all of this shit that he had but then I noticed there's like this one like little painting like little thing of like a clown like a skull with like a clown oh, hat on no and it's like not as good as the rest of it and it's in the kitchen what's the deal with this thing this looks like a child drew this and it's like not on you know like a canvas or anything it's like on a piece of paper and it has this weird frame it just looks like i look like i'm looking at like a child's art or something and i'm like, like this janky yeah it doesn't go with anything else and the kid kind of like nudges my boyfriend and he's and my boyfriend's like do you feel like bad things happen when that's around and then his girlfriend's like yeah I hate it being here it's only been here for like a couple weeks but I feel weird about it and whatever and he's like yeah I just got it and I'm like what what is that and he's like yeah it's a it's a John Wayne Gacy and then I was like who is that thinking like oh I'm super embarrassed this is like Picasso and I don't know you know like who this is <laughs> and he's like he's a famous serial killer they found like 30 something bodies in a crawl space of little boys in his crawl space in his house and I was like why the fuck would you want that like why do you have that yeah and seriously I know and he just laughed he was just like ha 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 and like thought it was super funny now I feel haunted by that is, is that why that like person took a shit to like tell me that that was about to happen <laughs> we've come full circle like do you think that house has bad vibes now like you know without, yes without getting into too much personal information about the person after that happened like I took a totally new look at the whole place you know because I was like what the fuck can I trust these people like are they gonna kill me right I don't like that I even saw it but why like what the fuck would possess somebody to have that kind of shit in their house I don't know that to me is super disturbing I don't I would never own something like that but also maybe that's just because we can't separate the art from the artist I don't know I feel like serial killer is a whole nother level well, of bad vibes and yeah, evil it got me thinking like 
okay, so if you're a super creative person, like this person obviously is, they have their own like super successful fashion company and they're kind of like, you know, part of like the cool, like elite Hollywood scene or whatever, then I could understand why you would want things that maybe like other people couldn't afford or people couldn't have. Cause it's like, you know, like a barometer of wealth and success. It's like, Ooh, I can afford this car that no one else has. Right. But mm-hmm. to ha- be surrounded by things that are just so unsettling like that, like it makes you think like, oof, that would have to be, that would just be so disorienting. I mean, that wasn't like the only thing he had too. On the walls were just like weird portraits of just like creepy shit, weird stuff. Like one of them was like this ball of twine, like wrapped around a bunch of um, like envelopes and like there was things sticking out of it, but you couldn't tell what it was. And I was like, what's ra- what is that wrapped around? Is that trash? Is there like a body in there? Like, what is that? You know, and it was like a photo taken of it and then just like put up on his wall. And it got me thinking two things like, can I just like fucking just like take some pictures of some bullshit and sell it to some rich people for like a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> i feel like i mean i don't know this person i have know nothing about them so i'm not going to say anything about them i will say that if i was dating somebody who had a serial killer painting on their wall i would piece the fuck out of there <laughs> that is the biggest red flag i have ever heard in my life i know right well like i don't I don't want to, like, judge these people because, you know... That's what I'm saying. I don't yeah. know him, but that's me personally. And I even said to him, I was like, wow, you're kind of an edgelord, aren't you? And he was like, haha. And I was like, do you know what that means? I was like, well, it's someone who's just, like, edgy for the sake of being edgy, you know? Right. Like, I do that sometimes because it can be kind of funny, at least I think. Like, you know, say Bush caused 9-11, and it's, like, a stupid meme joke at this point. Right, Yeah. But it's like, it's not the same as like murdering children, you know? And you have to think that this guy who had this super not remorseful at all, like he's definitely going to be a ghost. He's definitely going to have bad energy and whatever. And it's 100% going to be in those fucking things that he drew on death row of him drawing clowns and skulls that have like naked little boys body parts in them. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. no I can't I don't know like that's me personally my boundaries I would get the fuck out of there I would be like this only a matter of time because there's only two options in my mind and I could be totally wrong the only two options in my mind if I were to see something like that in someone's house I would be like either a this person is super out of touch and therefore I have nothing in common with them or b this person is only a matter of time before they do some fucked up shit to me yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I got I got the fuck out of there. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, I mean, I got the fuck out of there and I was like talking to my boyfriend and I was like, uh, so like, what's the deal with that? And he was like, I don't know, man. You oh know? my God. But that's crazy yeah. that you saw a John Wayne Gacy painting in person. Did you take a picture of it? No, fuck. Th- I didn't know what it was at first. I even asked, like, you know, now that I have like researched all of this and I know who he is and what he did, like if they would have said that to me, I would 100% have pulled up the Let's Get Haunted and like taken a picture of that. Yeah. You know, maybe fuck it. Maybe now I'm going to like risk going and getting haunted again. Yeah, and, go like, back there. Have them invite us back over. Yeah. And so I can like film all this shit for the Let's Get Haunted. You should. And be, like, Do you guys think this is haunted? Vote yes or no. Uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> for anyone who votes in this future poll, the answer is yes. The other thing I could think of that someone would want that stuff for is like black magic, right? Yeah. No, that's a good point. I didn't even think yeah. of that. Or necromancy, you know, bringing somebody back. I don't know. Oh my God, that adds such a layer of Ooh. creepiness 
extra maybe to you it. can um, ask him maybe if you get invited back over there you can ask him and maybe he'll be in- he'll be down with being filmed and you can put it on the lgh story yeah and just ask him like hey why do you own this because if he owns it and he's hanging it up and he's showing it off clearly he's proud of it so i don't know why he wouldn't want to talk about it and explain himself yeah i mean i guess okay so in the defense of like that place that was auctioning them off in las vegas they're saying like oh well it's actually for a good cause because all of the profits are going back to a charity but that's like not what i'm talking about i'm talking about why would you want that haunted shit in your house like sure buy yeah, it well, put it in an art gallery put it you know wherever the fuck not in your burn kitchen. it like a lot of those people well a lot of those people you said they bought the stuff because they wanted to support the cause and then they immediately burned the paintings yeah. and i think that's the way to do it so in conclusion Alyssa, what do you think happens to the art after the artist has been deemed problematic or toxic like is that art now haunted like if we listen to michael jackson music are we getting haunted right or if we listen to r kelly or if we listen to john lennon or if you know whatever i don't know what i was thinking about this was like okay if i had a relationship where like we had like really good memories together or like we did like really cool fun stuff together maybe we like made art or we like made a blanket or like i don't know we just like have some shared thing together or furniture or things that we bought if we lived together and those things were good but then the relationship turned out bad like you get rid of all that shit right because even if it was yeah good, most of the time yeah even if it was good to you at one point like even if it's a perfectly fine mirror or the dresser's fine or like you like the shoes or the purse or whatever fucking get rid of that shit because now it's haunted because that relationship was haunted am i right yes um i'm thinking of an example of when i was in college this actually would have been just after college i was dating somebody and then when we broke up first of all he did not want anything and this might sound very dramatic but he had gotten me like a lot of really expensive like purses and stuff i put everything in a box and i just gave it back to him and he was like i don't want any of this like you can keep it i was like i don't care like i don't want to even see this this is such bad vibes i don't know you figure out what you want to do with it you bought it if you want to return it if you want to resell it like you figure it out i don't want to deal with this yeah i agree with that haunted as fuck yeah haunted as fuck for sure I can't believe you saw that in person. I know. That was last night. I'm like kind of shook by it. Do you feel, do you like feel okay? Yeah. Well, I've had like a, and you know what? Oh my God, I just put this together. Guy, shit. And then also I was riding double down and we were going like really fast on this trail and we were having a lot of fun, but then he like got spooked by something random and stepped to the side really weird and started limping. And I actually like, I had to end up getting off of him and walking him back. So I hope he's okay. I'm getting ready to go see him after this. And then on top of that- This is Natalia's horse, by the way, for people who listen to these out of order. Double down is Natalia's horse. Yeah. And obviously if your horse gets a leg injury, like that's not good. (laughs) So yeah, I'm just trying not to overthink of it. And that I saw the John Wayne Gacy painting. Fucking weird ass shit. Fuck this. Fuck my life. Well, the good news is that bad things happen in threes, right? So John Wayne Gacy painting, double down, got a sprained leg, and the guy shit on your front porch. So all this means is that there's nowhere to go but up because bad things come in threes. And you just got all three out of the way. All right. It's time to Liam Neeson. It's time to Liam Neeson. Yeah, time. Okay, so the new goal. Wait, I'm kind of into this now. The new thing is I need to infiltrate this, my boyfriend's estranged friend's life so that I can find out the way that he works and we can discover the deepest, darkest recesses of his mind. Who knows? Am I finding out a serial killer right now? Am I going to get sued by his extremely wealthy family for libel right now? Oh, fuck. I didn't even think of this. Okay, wait, let's add a disclaimer then. All of this is alleged. (laughs) 
there you go. I think you can't be sued if you just say this is alleged. Like, people aren't going to find out who it is. No, but, like, if he listens to it or something. If he listens to it and casts a dark spell on me, I'm finished. Yeah. Just kidding. I'm not because I have a candle burning right now. (laughs) (laughs) You have a circle of protection drawn around you. Just tell him that the name of our podcast is, like, the name of another popular podcast. Unfortunately, me being me, anytime I meet someone who's, like, cool and artsy and has, like, a bunch of money, I'm like, hey, guess what? I have a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Sponsor us, please. Uh, Tell him the name of our podcast is my favorite murder because that's two women and then maybe he'll be confused and he'll listen to that one okay right wow thank you natalia that was a the haunted as fuck story yeah i i agree i didn't i didn't like it no i didn't like it at all either first of all fuck clowns already i don't understand that yeah fuck clowns to begin with fuck anything where like you are half-assed disguising yourself as something else i can still tell it's you when you have clown makeup on like i don't know brb gotta go dress up like a clown and get a beer at a bar Mm, well dangerous Mm, dangerous all right guys thanks for listening Bye. bye the sources that i used for this episode are wikipedia.com cnn.com and culturefest.com.